Okay. Uh, good morning, church. Good morning. It's good to see you. I'm proud of you. Thank you for uh, braving uh, the first day of winter to be here. <laughs> I can't believe I was in my backyard doing chores barefoot yesterday. Uh, but next time you see somebody who was too chicken to come this morning, you uh, can uh, inform them of how you are more righteous than they are. <laughs> so, that doesn't sound right? Well, anyhow, so here we go. Uh, New Year's, right? The year of our Lord, 2022. And uh, I'm going to guess that um, I'm going to guess that more than a few of you, and I might be wrong, but I'm kind of thinking I'm probably right. I'm going to guess that more than a few of us here might be a bit apprehensive about the coming year. Huh? Worried perhaps, anxious maybe, fearful even of what difficulties and challenges the world might cast upon us this coming year. Hello? Yes? And if indeed we are anxious, uh, the media doesn't do a very good job of calming us down, even when they try to. And I'm going to get my thing going here. Oh my gosh. Um, Okay. So... Christmas Eve, I was using this to do the slides. It's like a remote control. And I did it at the 5 o'clock service. And I'm like, I'm so cool. You know, I can hang out with the millennials, right? And then at the 7 o'clock service, I was sitting back there behind the pole in my robe. And about a third of the way into the service, I thought, I don't know where my phone is. And I got up and walked out to go find it. And I thought, yeah, I'm still an old guy. Okay? Okay. So, here we go. This this was the front page of the Austin American Statesman yesterday. 2022. Best wishes for the new year. It's kind of festive. It's colorful. It's nice. Thank you, American Statesman. But then on the inside page was this... Cocktail for New Year, sorrow, fear, and hope. (laughs) Gunman opens fire on the streets of Philly. Colorado fire turns lives upside down. And frustration continues for air travelers. And so the world does a pretty good job of keeping us anxious, worried, fearful. And there are seriously many things that do need our attention and do need worrying about. But it's easy, isn't it, to get caught up into that fear and anxiety. And so no doubt those kinds of feelings are behind uh, the meme that Jackie sent me. Um, At this point, a new year feels a bit risky. What about getting a certified pre-owned year? (laughs) Right? 1990, that was a good year. Can Can we do that one again? Right? So then you combine with the anxiety of our age, all the uh, challenges, you combine with that our usual uh, normal 
New Year's expectations that we need to make resolutions, we need to begin again, all sorts of self-improvement projects, we need to lose weight, we need to slim down, start that new hobby, and how to become a better you, and now is the time for your best life now, etc., etc., etc. And I, I don't know about you, but this year that kind of stuff just feels exhausting, okay? Resolutions? I don't think so. Um... Which leads to another meme that somebody sent to me. <laughs> Can't we just get some tacos? Come on. Okay. So, um, I don't know about you, but... Um, this might sound strange. Um, I hope you understand what I'm trying to say. I, I don't think I need those things that are supposed to be helpful right now. I think I just need something to make me hopeful. Hmm? Helpful? You know, I don't need a hundred helpful strategies on how to be a better me. Today, I just, I'm just longing for being hopeful. And so let's turn to the scriptures, shall we? Scriptures, our traditions, our theological understandings worked out over two millennia of uh, church people trying to figure all this out to try to find something hopeful. Amen? And more specifically, and stay with me here, okay, I think we can find hope in what is known as the doctrine of incarnation which is a natural thing to do today on Epiphany Sunday. Epiphany Sunday is the go-to Sunday if you want to talk about incarnation. The scriptures for Epiphany Sunday are the go-to scriptures if you want to talk about incarnation. Uh, and, indeed, last night I'm, I'm on a kind of a texting chain with about 12 other pastors, and last night and this morning was this heated uh, conversation about the nature of incarnation. Right? We're, we're Bible nerds, and that's what we talk about on Saturday night, right? Incarnation. So then, just what is the Christian understanding of the doctrine of incarnation? Um, this is almost an aside, but not really. I, uh, I spent all last week cleaning my office, spring cleaning my office because it felt like spring, I suppose. And I came across a seminary journal. Um, that I hadn't seen in a while, and up at the top, the crisis of incarnation. And I thought, well, I didn't know incarnation was in crisis, but, you know, the academics will uh, have something useful to say, and this will be good for sermon preparation. And then I started reading it, and, and it was all about prison ministry. And I was like, what? And I went back to the cover, uh, the crisis of, of incarceration. <laughs> Like, oh, that's different. Incarnation, not incarceration, not incineration, not carnations, but incarnation. So, again, what is it? Well, of course, I turned to the source of all wisdom, Google, 
And this is, this is it, word for word. Incarnation literally means embodied in flesh or taking on flesh. It refers to the conception and birth of a sentient being who is the material manifestation of an entity, God, spiritual, or universal force whose origin, whose original nature is immaterial. So I googled, how do you explain the incarnation to children? Because uh, I can't even read the cover of a seminary <laughs> journal correctly, okay? How do you explain the incarnation to kids? In the incarnation, normally defined, the divine nature of the Son was joined but not mixed with human nature in one divine person, Jesus Christ, who was both truly God and truly man. The incarnation is commemorated and celebrated each year at the Feast of the Incarnation, which is better known as the Annunciation. So, okay, well, maybe um, in the, um, the creeds, okay, the Nicene Creed is just part of the Nicene Creed. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. Etc. I, I don't know. I couldn't. I couldn't get close to it. And finally, I read uh, the message, which is uh, the Bible paraphrased by Eugene Peterson. The, and so he's paraphrasing the, the chapter, the first chapter that Carol just read. The light life was the real thing. Every person entering life, he brings into light. He was in the world. The world was there through him, and yet the world didn't even notice. He came to his own people, but they didn't want him. But whoever did want him, who believed he was who he claimed, and would do what he said, he made to be their true selves, their child of God's selves. These are God begotten, not blood begotten, not flesh begotten, not sex begotten. The word became flesh and blood and moved into the neighborhood. And finally I was there. Okay? The word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus is in the neighborhood. And so, in my Christmas Eve sermon, I asked the question, who is the gospel for? And the answer is, for you. Who's the good news? Who's the Christ? Who's the Messiah for? For you. For unto you was born that one who can save you from everything you need to be saved from. Today the question is, where is the good news at work? And the answer wherever you are, not just here, wherever you are, Jesus is in your neighborhood. And I don't know about you, but that sounds hopeful. Now, the text literally means something like he tabernacled with us. The word became flesh and tabernacled with us. And it is an allusion to Moses and the Israelites out in the wilderness. They built a tabernacle, which is actually just a really big tent, and it's portable. And so wherever they went, God went with them. And it's interesting to me in the Old Testament how out in the wilderness they complained and they complained and they complained. And then when they got to the land of milk and honey and temptations and distractions, uh, it's like the Bible begins to get kind of... Um, uh, nostalgic about the, the desert which is ironic 
Remember when it, it's just us and God and there's no way we would have made it without God? God was with us. Even in the valley of the shadow of death, thou art with me. That sounds hopeful. Christmas, a lot of times, the way we practice it can often be something that seems romantic, sentimental, warm, fuzzy, and that's okay up to the point. But the gospel story of Christmas is really about the reality of darkness, evil, and yet the light that cannot be defeated. Glory, life, truth, grace in the midst of the darkness. The light shines in the darkness, pushes back on the darkness, and the darkness, despite its evil intent, and best efforts cannot defeat it. That sounds hopeful. So, given this, the Word made flesh, three caveats, I think. The light, the Word, the Christ, the Messiah has become flesh and is with us, near us in the neighborhood, but as the Scripture points out, it's not altogether obvious. The light came into the world, but was not welcomed. Jesus came to his own, but his own did not want him. They rejected him. It's interesting to me in the Gospels that um, who can recognize the Messiah and who cannot? And those most qualified to do so, the very religious leaders, seem the ones that have the hardest time seeing who he is. They accuse him of blasphemy, of being demon-possessed. They're offended by him. On the other hand, the uneducated shepherds, the sick, the poor, even the truly demon-possessed could all see exactly who he really was. These magi are foreigners. They're strangers to the neighborhood. And yet even they could see that the the word was in the neighborhood. There's an old uh, Celtic poem called the Rune of Hospitality. I saw a stranger yesterday I put food in the eating place, drink in the drinking place, music in the listening place. And in the name of, and in the sacred name of the triune, he blessed myself and my house, my cattle and my dear ones. And the lark said in her song, often, often, often goes the Christ in a stranger's guise. Often, often, often goes the Christ in the stranger's guise. Which reminds me of a story my mother told. My mother uh, was a, a girl during the Great Depression, and they were poor. And she said there were some times when uh, her mom would cook food and, and feed the kids, but she didn't eat anything because they didn't have enough food for everybody to have something. And they lived by a, a train track, and every once in a while the train would stop, and they would start kicking all the what they called hobos back then, uh, off the train. And when they heard that sound, her mom would get out of skillet, start making some cornbread, start frying some bacon. And my mom, uh, being a a classic oldest, no-nonsense, practical child, uh, she said, why are you doing that, Mama? Since we, we, we don't even have enough food for ourselves. And her mother quoted the scripture from Hebrews, never fail to show hospitality because therein people have entertained angels unaware. 
And it made a big impression on my mom. My mom was very uh, frugal, being a Depression-era child, and yet very generous. That no matter how little you have, right, there is the Word made flesh and working in and through us to bring light to those who live in darkness. Second thing, so I think, well, first thing, I, in order to see the light, to recognize the light, I, I think it requires a certain humility, an honest confession that sometimes we really do prefer the darkness. Humility, honesty, the spiritual disciplines of prayer life, intentionality. The more I worship, the more likely I am to see the light. The more I pray, the more likely I am to hear the word. The less I immerse myself in the world's ocean, of constant anger, condemnation, anxieties, and worries, the more likely the Messiah, I can see the Messiah at work around me in my neighborhood and live my life from my position of hopefulness. Second, at the end of the day, the incarnation, the good news, the hope of the world is mystery. Like love itself and sacrifice for others and and profound friendship that can never be completely explained, just experienced. Um, and case in point, these pastor friends, it was interesting to me. It, it wasn't an academic debate. It was, here's how I have experienced the incarnation personally. One of them said, for me, the incarnation is a reminder that all matter is filled with the Spirit of God. The presence that is always bigger than me also lives in me and invites me in every moment of my life to live out in my flesh what the Spirit made visible in Jesus' flesh. That's why each of you, he's talking to his friends, that's why each of you can be and have been Jesus for me. Happy New Year. Likewise, the Christmas story in the Bible, if you think about it, very little is explained, but much is experienced and much is proclaimed. These characters in the story, they sing, they shout praises, they dance, they glorify, they wax poetic, they fall on their knees. They don't explain much. They're just caught up into it. I'll bet the best sermon you heard during Advent and Christmas was the Hallelujah Chorus during Handel's Messiah. You just get it. And you don't really need it explained. Huh? And that's the good news. I don't have to academically, theoretically, intellectually understand the good news in order to experience it. And for me, that's hopeful. And then third and finally, if the Messiah has come, if the Word has been made flesh... If Jesus has moved into our neighborhood, then what would that look like? The scripture gives you an answer. The one and only who came from the Father came full of grace and truth. Who needs a little more grace in their lives? Who needs truth? And who needs truth and grace combined together? Years ago, I had a pastor friend uh, and her college-age preacher's kid son was having 
bit of an existential crisis and not sure he really believed all this uh, Christianity stuff. And so he goes, he goes to Nepal and he is studying these other world religions. And finally one day he's in a monastery and they're listening to a, a, a lecture. They're listening to a lecture about compassion. And outside he hears a woman screaming. And no one twitches a muscle. And they keep talking about compassion. And nobody moves. And so finally he goes outside and there's these two guys beating up on this woman. He doesn't understand why. He's a big guy. He's about a six foot five linebacker looking guy. And he goes up and makes it stop. And a couple days later he came back to the States. That truth without grace right truth without grace truth is one thing but without grace being right is one thing but without grace compassion love humility it's not the light that has come I've had people say to me we need to say the creeds more often in church Um, and I was thinking I think we need to dance the creeds more often I think we need to get some fiddles and get in a big circle and dance the creeds. Because these, that's, that's what they're proclaiming, this hopeful message. To sing the creeds, to dance the creeds. Because the Word, the light, the life, the Savior, the Word made flesh is, is the most hopeful thing we have to hang on to. I mean, we can read every day about that darkness, but we proclaim that the darkness cannot overcome the light. And we are still hopeful. And like Mary, we might just sing that even if the darkness is in us, we remember that Christ doesn't simply come to help us escape the darkness, to escape the evil in the world. But He came to redeem it. He came to take what's dark in me and make light out of it. We sing, we shout the hallelujah chorus, we pick up tambourines and dance, we find our joy. Because in our homes, in our workplaces, in the cathedrals, in the shacks, on the border, in the desert, on the wrong side of the tracks, in the Great Depression, on the train, in the bread lines, in the women's shelter, and yes, even with the incarcerated, the prison cells. He is with us, Emmanuel, and we are not without hope. Amen? Amen. Amen.